Welcome to Christmas at Propel. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say welcome on behalf of myself, my wife, and the rest of the team here. We are so honored that you chose to join us for Christmas. And if you're watching online, we want to say welcome to you as well. We consider you a part of our church family. This is a great time for you to go ahead and drop in that comment section where you're tuning in from. This Christmas season is really exciting. This is only our second worship experience back in this facility doing in-person gatherings, and we're super excited about that. Uh, We not only have a worship experience tonight, but on Sunday we're back both in-person and online, 9 a.m., 10.30. Super pumped. This Christmas season, though, uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but my wife and I, around the Christmas season, we get uh, holiday cards from people. It's where people show you how awesome their family really is. And so you get this greeting card, and uh, I like the ones with the pictures of the kids with Santa. So you see this, and, and the ones that you get sent are these like perfect angel children, right? You see these families, they sat their kids on Santa's lap, and they were all smiles, and it was perfect. But the problem is, you took your own kids to go get pictures with Santa, and it was kind of like they got demon-possessed or something for a second, and like Santa had done something really wrong to them because they all mad and angry and frustrated. The picture just doesn't look like what you get sent from other people. Their picture looks perfect, and your picture looks jacked up. But it's not just pictures and kids with Santa. You get those greeting cards with people's family on them, and it's like they were taking a stroll through the woods one day, and a photographer magically followed them. And you know they don't actually like each other that much. Like you went to lunch with them before, and they didn't even talk. They didn't sit near each other. And and what looks like a perfect image on the outside, you realize... That's not how it really works. But we want that, don't we? We want those perfect images in our lives. We want to have our family be that perfect family. We want everybody else to look on the outside and see that we've really got it all together. But on the inside, we don't. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, a lot of times what we do is we want to look perfect on the outside so we kind of clean our own mess up. And, but really on the inside, we're broken. We look at how other people follow Jesus and think, man, they must have gotten it all figured out. When we look at our own life, we feel like it's just way too messy. I've called this message, this message is messy, because I really wanted us to get a good picture of what Christmas really is. And when we look in the Bible, when we look into Scripture, we see that this Christmas message is a messy message. It's one that has a ton of mess. It's one that has a ton of turns and plot twists. It's not a simplistic message where everything is smooth sailing. It's one that's really, really messy. In Matthew chapter 118, we kind of find out that Jesus, who is God's son, is going to be born. But he's coming to be born of a virgin. This virgin that's there is this teenager named Mary. That's a messy story already. You've got, you've got a young girl who's going to have a baby, but don't worry, it's God's baby. You think, that's not, you think that's maybe a little messy? Here's where it gets more messy. Mary's engaged to this guy named Joseph. And Joseph is going to be married to Mary. And that's interesting. <laughs> but they're in the engagement process, and Mary comes to Joseph and lets him know, hey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's God's baby. You want to talk about messy, 
Joseph doesn't know whether to believe Mary or not. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, we find out that before Joseph is even going to actually have Mary as his wife fully, he wants to walk away from the table. He signed up to be married to her, but he didn't sign up to be the dad of the Savior of the world. That's a lot of responsibility. And so in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1, we find out that Joseph wants to leave Mary. It's a messy story. Thankfully, there was an angel of the Lord who appeared and and told Joseph, hey, it really is God's baby. And Joseph's thinking, good, because I wouldn't have believed it if you didn't tell me for yourself. (laughs) Story's messy. We continue on, and Joseph, he's going to stay with Mary. That's good. But the problem is, they're not going to be, Jesus isn't going to be born in the town that they're currently located in. Jesus is supposed to be born down the road. Down the road is actually 90 miles away. They didn't have Uber. There were no Honda Civics. He loaded her up on a donkey. And Joseph is going to make a journey for 90 miles with his wife on the back of a mule. And if you've ever traveled with a pregnant woman, you know this story is messy. It's not an easy story. It's not a perfect story. It's one filled with bumps and twists and turns. And yet somehow we think all the time that our story has to be perfect or there can't be any mess in our life or God wants nothing to do with us. But God, he's a God who writes and orchestrates messy stories because as Joseph and Mary are even on their journey heading into Bethlehem where Jesus is going to be born, you would think that, man, Joseph did his part He had already booked. He went through Hotels.com. He got it all planned out that when they got to Bethlehem, there was going to be a room for them. But as they roll into town, they realize there's no room available anywhere. There's no vacancy in sight. They go to the nicest hotel. And this is going to be the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah who's supposed to be born. And all of a sudden... He's not going to be born in the nicest hotel. He's not going to be born in perfect conditions. The only place that he can be born in is in this horse trough because they're in a manger surrounded by all of these filthy animals. It's a disgusting, messy story. And yet in the middle of this, I think what God is trying to show each and every single one of us, if you're taking notes tonight, is that God isn't afraid of the mess. I don't know what mess you have in your own life, but I came to give you and I some good news, that God isn't afraid of it. That even in the middle of our mess, even in the middle of our struggle and our our hardships and our circumstances, God isn't afraid of your mess. In fact, he comes to you right there. It's in the middle of our mess that oftentimes we feel like we've got to clean things up for ourselves. We've got to fix some things and make everything right. But God doesn't operate that way. God sees your mess and chooses to pursue you and I anyways. God isn't afraid of the mess. Uh, During COVID, during 2020, I took up, I got some new habits. One of those habits I took up was smoking. It's not the smoking you're thinking of. I like barbecue. And when I found out that there was going to be the possibility when we were going into quarantine that I was going to have to live my life without barbecue, I thought that's no way to live. 
And so I bought me a smoker, and I went and picked up some Boston butts and some ribs. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, that this is how good quarantine was at my house. I smoked so much meat in the first two weeks, I ended up with the gout. <laughs> it hurt, <laughs> but it was kind of worth it, I'm going to be honest. I like barbecue a lot. But I have this bad habit when I cook, um, when, I, when I'm prepping food and, and, and cooking, I'm messy. And I'm not like kind of messy, I'm like real messy. I use about 6,432 paper towels when I'm cooking a meal. And the reason why I use so many paper towels is because I want to make sure that if at any point when my wife enters into the room, she sees that it's not as dirty as it could be. Like I've cleaned up a little bit. My, my goal in my excessive use of paper towels, if, if you're wondering what a good Christmas gift is, you just give me that big pack, right? Like, I use a lot of paper towels because my goal is if I can clean up the mess enough, then maybe when she comes in, she won't notice just how messy I really am. She knows. And she loves me anyways. That's exactly how God works. A lot of times when we look at our relationship with God, we grab as many paper towels as we can and we try and clean up the mess or we try and cover it up or we try and hide or we turn to whatever we can to kind of mask the reality of how we're really doing. For some of us, we've grown accustomed to elevating our social media platforms and we do a really good job of putting the fake us out in front of everybody. Meanwhile, internally, we're really struggling because we're messy. But in the middle of our mess... God comes and he chooses to pursue you and I for the purpose of relationship. That's what Romans chapter 5 verse 8 teaches us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That while we were still in the middle of our mess, while we were still struggling, while we were imperfect, while we had faults, flaws, failures, and issues, you got more issues than you got tissues, right? You got problems. In the middle of all that, God said, I'm coming for them. In the middle of Christmas, we want to put this perfect image up. We want to throw out the nativity scene where everybody's in their right place. Except for the wise men. If you put the wise men in the nativity, it's a whole story. I'll get to it later. But they don't belong there. They came years later. It ain't perfect. You're not perfect. Your story's messy. You got problems. And in the middle of those problems, what God really wants you and I to know is that he desires a relationship with us. That he's not afraid of our mess. But in fact, in the middle of our mess, he runs as fast as he can to us. Because left on our own, our mess just turns into a bigger mess. But when we turn to Jesus, when we realize that Jesus came for us in the middle of our mess and we surrender our life to him, here's the next thing that, that it should do for us is make us realize that God can turn your mess into a message. That no matter who you are or what you've been through or the things that have transpired in your life, 
God can turn your mess into a message. That's the beauty of Christmas. As we look at this horse trough where this baby is lying there, it's not the perfect condition. It's probably not the place where Mary thought she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. But it's the exact perfect opportunity for God to speak into our life to say, any mess you have, I can make something good out of it. Any mess you're going through, any hardships you're facing, I can turn it into a message if you'll let me use your life. You may be saying, well, Pastor, that's great, but that's just one place in the Bible. Well, I'm glad you asked. Do me a favor. Go to Mark chapter 5, verse 3. We're talking about a guy who was demon-possessed. There was a dude in Mark chapter 5 who was living among the burial tombs. Scripture says that he lived in the graveyard. If you ever want to know where not to make friends, it's there. (laughs) Don't make friends with people who live in the graveyard. This guy didn't have that problem because nobody wanted anything to do with him. They were afraid of him. They thought he was weird. He had all these issues. But not only did they think those things, this is what Scripture says about him. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons with his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. These people were so afraid that they put shackles on him trying to chain him up, but he would break them. Sometimes the, the, sometimes if you and I aren't careful, we'll let other people put us in bondage. It's not our own bondage. It's that we let other people chain us up. So it says that he had these bondages. He would break the chains. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills... He would cry out and cut himself with stones. You may be thinking, Nick, man, what does this have to do with me? I'm not demon-possessed. Fair point. Second, I think this guy's a lot like us. Because he's howling and cutting himself. Which means in this moment, what he's doing is he's got all of this internal pain that he doesn't know what to do with. He's got all of this struggle that he can't seem to get out. And he's got all of this stuff going on on the inside. And when you don't know how to properly deal with what's going on on the inside, what happens outside of you is external harm, typically to yourself. And if you don't end up hurting yourself because you don't know how to deal with the pain you've got going on on the inside, you end up hurting other people. That's why they chained him. That's why they subdued him. They were afraid of him. Because when he wasn't hurting himself, he was hurting other people. This man's a lot like us because you may not struggle physically with cutting, but if you do, the good news is what you're going to see in just a second is that you can be set free from that. That you can find freedom, healing, redemption, and forgiveness. In Jesus, he can set you free. That might not be your issue of physically cutting. Maybe your issue is that you emotionally cut yourself with your own words. And you speak things over yourself and you say things about yourself that God would never say about you. So day in and day out, you don't know how to deal with the pain of the stuff and the junk that you've got going on, the mess of your own life. So you just keep self-inflicting pain to yourself over and over and over again. Maybe your issue isn't with words. Maybe you have an issue with alcohol or drugs. 
And so what you feel like is in a moment you're going to find some relief or some freedom from the pain that you've got going on, the stuff that you don't know how to deal with. But what happens is the morning comes and the night comes right back. And you realize you still got all this junk that you don't know what to do with. And so day in and day out, you keep harming yourself and hurting yourself. And over and over and over. And maybe those aren't your issues at all. But here's what I do know. When you and I don't know how to deal with our own mess, we end up consistently wounding ourselves. It's not just a this guy issue. This was my issue. Chances are it's probably your issue as well. And so what happens is in this moment, we have a guy who is chained up, but he's breaking it. He's hurting himself. And scripture tells us that Jesus's boat just happens to land on the shore where this man was. And it didn't happen to land. It wasn't an accident. It was divine orchestration because God was showing us once again that he meets us in the middle of our mess. And so Jesus' boat pulls onto the shore and Jesus gets out and begins walking toward the demon-possessed man. But when the demon-possessed man sees him, he doesn't run the opposite direction. He runs as fast as he can to the feet of Jesus. Because at some point in your life and in my life, we're going to have to come to the realization that the issues we have going on within us can't be resolved with temporary solutions or human effort. They have to be resolved by Jesus himself. So this man runs as fast as he can and he falls to the feet of Jesus and he cries out, Lord. And in this moment, Jesus begins to have a conversation with him. This is all in Mark chapter 5. You have to go back and read it for yourself. I'm storytelling because if I read the whole scripture to you, I wouldn't have time to teach you anything else. So Mark chapter 5, he's having a conversation with the guy. He says, who are you? And the demons say, we are, our name is Legion for we are many. And then at the end of that, Jesus cast the demons out and there was this herd of pigs. So Jesus cast the demons into the herd of pigs. The herd of pigs end up running over the cliff and they die. There were a few people in the town that saw this happen, so they go back, and when they go into town, they find the spot where everybody's at, and the farmers are in there, and they go to have a conversation. And they start the conversation off with, hey, you remember that demon-possessed guy? I'm like, yeah. I go, like, oh, he's free now. There was this guy named Jesus set him free. Like, That's great. Then there was a problem. Jesus cast those demons into the pigs, no problem. I can afford to lose a few pigs. No, like all your pigs. You have no more pigs. The pigs are gone. They have died. Everybody in the town gets mad because they took their livelihood. Jesus endangered their comfort zone. I know if you ever want to know, see, these were, these were people, they were in a Jewish region. If you ever want to know how to make religious people angry, you just, you just mess with their comfort level. Because for, for people who operate in high religiosity, their comfort is more important than anything else. God doesn't care about your comfort. That's a story for a different day. So Jesus is having a conversation with this guy who has now been set free. This is what it says. We'll pick up the story in verse 16 of Mark chapter 5. He says, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told, they, and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They're mad. 
They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They want him to leave because he's ruined their livelihood. He's messed with them, and they, he, they want him gone. So Jesus is going to do what he does. He's not going to force himself onto you. He's going to choose to leave. So he, it says, as Jesus was getting back into the boat, a man, the man who was demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now, why would he do that? Well, it's really easy that Jesus was the only guy who came to see him. He was the only guy in his mess that was willing to come and give him hope and give him purpose. He was the only guy who wasn't afraid of him and stayed far away from him. No, this Jesus was the one who came and set him free. Now, Scripture says that this man was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, that he's not the same person he used to be. He's not still going through that same stuff. He's now changed forever. And because of that change, all he wants to do is sit with Jesus, to get in the boat with Jesus. And this is a good opportunity for Jesus, too, because Jesus has a few disciples. One's going to deny him. One's going to betray him. He's going to have to pick up another guy later on in the game, and he's got a free agent on the table currently. This guy just wants to get into his boat. But Jesus says no. Look at what he tells him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which that means ten towns, how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. I believe that what begins to happen in this man's life is he goes into this next region and he begins to share about the scars and the pain of the stuff he went through. See, those self-inflicting wounds, those places where he once cut himself, have now healed. And as he walks into the town, he gets to go, hey, do you see this scar? This wrist is, that's my green bracelet. That means you can hop off me, hug me, and do whatever. You see this scar? And they're like, yeah. Like, no, you don't understand. I cut myself. Uh, do we need to get some help? Do you? No, 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 no. See, I used to be demon-possessed. And I was stuck. And every day I would go and I would cut myself and I would harm myself. But then there was this one day where this guy named Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up onto the shore that day, I surrendered everything to him. And what once was a wound now became a scar. And this is a great story of healing. So he got to go and he got to share about all the things that God had done. And those Parts of his life that were once wounds that have transitioned to scars are now the things that he was able to share with other people. And when he shared those things, Scripture says that everybody was amazed. If you really want to know how to reach people, if you really want to know how to let God turn your mess into a message, you have to stop letting the enemy retain access to those wounds that became scars. You have to stop letting the enemy convince you that those scars are actually stories of embarrassment rather than healing. You have to stop letting the enemy tell you that if you actually shared your story, people would judge you and look down on you. And guess what? They might. 
But Scripture was really clear. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you have that moment, just like that demon-possessed man did, you're not who you used to be. So if others judge you based on who you used to be, you can take confidence in the fact that you're not that same person. There are plenty of people, when they look at my past and the things that I've done, want to hold me uh, accountable or judge me for what I used to do. But I'm not that guy. Jesus changed my life. And he set me free. And when you and I understand that all of the mess, all of the struggles that we've gone through in our life can be redeemed and used by God to become a powerful message to advance his kingdom, it changes the world around us. And so I was reading through this story and reading through Mark chapter 5, and I thought, i got to show you something. Because... When we end the passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 5, we see that these people that are in Decapolis, that are in these ten towns, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're mad because he killed their bacon. They didn't even get to enjoy it. It's gone. Livelihood, gone. Pork shoulders, gone. Everything's gone. Demon-possessed pigs off the cliff. They're mad. They want Jesus to leave. But then there's this guy, and this guy is walking through the town and he's sharing about how many great things Jesus has done. But then we get to Mark chapter 7, verse 31, and it lets us in on this. It says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. So Jesus is coming back into this town that he was kicked out of, that they asked him to leave, and nobody wanted anything to do with him. And when he comes back, you would expect that the people who were mad at him when he left, they're still going to be mad. Because that's typically how people work. They kicked him out. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're going to stay mad at Jesus. But something changes. It says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have been with me already for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Our expectation when Jesus gets kicked out of a region is that when he comes back to that region, nobody's going to want anything to do with him. But the opposite is true. When Jesus comes back into the ten towns of Decapolis, not only are there people showing up to hear him and they're letting him back into the town, but they're pretty pumped he's there. They're pumped enough to spend three days with him, to take long walks to come hear him teach. They're not only spending three days with him, they're spending three days listening to him teach with no food. People don't hang out with me for eight hours with no food. They've been with Jesus for three days. And this is a cool miracle. This is when Jesus feeds about 4,000 people. It says this as we get to verse 8 in Mark chapter 8. The people ate and they were satisfied. What, what happens is Jesus takes some bread and some fish. He breaks it. He multiplies it. He feeds everybody. It's awesome. Go read it for yourself. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 were present after he had sent them away. 4,000 people. You had a small village who was pushing Jesus out, telling him to get away. But now, 
all of a sudden, there's 4,000 plus people who are showing up to hear the good news of Jesus. How did that happen? Well, the only thing that we can find in Scripture is that there was this one guy who was demon-possessed. There was this one guy whose life was incredibly messy. And what happens is he doesn't just go home. He doesn't just get in the boat with Jesus. He doesn't just do his own thing and hide his story. There's this one guy who comes out. And he starts going to every town and every door in this region. And he begins to share about who he used to be and where God has him now. And I wonder if if the whole reason why Jesus wouldn't let him into the boat with him now in Mark 5 was because he knew that by not letting him into the boat in Mark 5, in Mark 8, he would get to teach to 4,000 people and have people's eternity changed. I wonder if you and I knew how much power is actually contained in the story that God has entrusted us with. See, the enemy has done a lot of things in your life that were intended for evil, but God, if you'll let him, can turn any mess into a message. If you'll let God, he can turn any mess into a message, and then you'll get to see miracle after miracle after miracle because what takes place in your life can change the trajectory of other people's lives by just simply being willing to go home and share about the good things that Jesus has done for you, that's powerful. By going into the place that God has entrusted you with, to go into your workplace, to go into your school, to go into your family gatherings this Christmas, and not just hide your scars, but to be willing to say, this is who I used to be, but praise God I'm not that person anymore. Your willingness to tell other people about the great things that God has done prepares the way for more people to meet Jesus. So as this one guy starts sharing about how Jesus has done these great things in his life, when Jesus rolls into town, they're not coming out with pitchforks trying to get rid of him. They're going, oh, that's that Jesus guy that that demon-possessed man told us about. That's the Jesus that, that, that apparently meets people where they're at and he can heal the broken. He can mend those who are hurting. That's that Jesus who is willing to get messy. It's that Jesus who meets people where they're at. It's that Jesus who no matter what your struggle or circumstance, he says, just come. That's that Jesus that we've heard so much about. And we're willing to travel the distance to hear about him. We're willing to sit for three days with no food and listen to him. What if God would use your story to soften the hard heart of an individual so that the next time they showed up to an environment and encountered him, they didn't push him away, but they embraced him. That's the power of your story. And that's what I believe God wants you and I to do in this Christmas season. We need to understand that God is willing to get messy for us, but we also need to understand that God wants to use your mess and turn it into a message, to use who you used to be to show others this gospel, this good news of Jesus 
is not about being perfect because he's perfect. It's not about having your life together because you can't get that on your own. It's about recognizing your mess and knowing that God's answer for your mess was sending Jesus to die in your place. And after you do that, my challenge for you this Christmas season is to do what Jesus tells the man in Mark chapter 5, verse 19, which is this. But Jesus did not let him go with him, but said, go home to your own people. Circle, highlight, underline, own people. If you're not careful, here's what you'll do. You'll, you'll try and take your story, but it's not really your story. You get envious of other people's stories, so you try and go to their people. Like for me, my story was drug addiction, but that's not everybody's story, and it doesn't need to be everybody's story. God wants to use your story uniquely. There's a whole lot of people who can be used, who can be touched by the story that you have. So go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how merciful, how he has had mercy on you. That's what you and I need to do this Christmas season. Go home and share Jesus with every single person that we come into contact with. As we do that, we are preparing the way for more people to experience him. And one encounter with Jesus can change your life forever. For some of you in here tonight, I believe you need an encounter with Jesus. When we think about the story, you're relating way more to the guy who's demon-possessed than you are to the guy who'd been set free to share his story with the world. And the reason is because you need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight. You may have said a prayer in the past, you may have done some things, but the truth is, if your life wasn't transformed, if there was no transformation, then there was no salvation. But tonight, all of that can change. God can change you from the inside out. He can set you free, give you hope and purpose and passion like never before. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed in this room for a second, would you do me a favor? If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you just boldly lift your hand for a moment and say, hey, that's me. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Come on. Here's what we're going to do. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have new life. In Jesus' name. Amen.